1: And my name is Bruna, and you don't recognize me from anything yet. Together, we're two scientists who explore the answers to these questions and many, many more in our new podcast, Mystery Mystery of Everything, Everything, available everywhere you get your podcasts. Hey, y'all. Spooky season is here. And if you're looking for a show to whet your appetite for a little haunted history, then I'd like to invite you to check out Southern Gothic So, if you're ready for a little good old-fashioned Halloween storytelling with a commitment to quality historical research, then be sure to check out Southern Gothic today. It's available now on all your favorite podcast apps.
0: Monster House Presents
1: Welcome to Monster Talk, the science show about monsters. I'm Blake
0: Smith. And I'm Karen Stoltzner.
1: Hey there, Monster Talkers. In this week's episode, we're diving deeper into the mysterious life of the platypus. If you haven't heard part one, you should go check that out. As a reminder, I'm not claiming platypuses are monsters, but they may be the closest thing in real life to the chimera from ancient Greek mythology, an animal comprised of the parts of other animals. We're going to learn about these animals and their amazing sense organs, their venomous spurs, and how they can also be secret agents who wear fedoras. Actually, you'll have to check the show notes to learn more about that last thing. But we're picking right up where we left off with Dr. Gilad Bino, who's been studying these creatures for a while and has lots to share with us. Monster Talk is an independent podcast production of Monster House, LLC. You can show your support by subscribing to our ad-free extended episodes at patreon.com forward slash monster talk. We want to grow our Monster Talk audience, and the easiest way to accomplish that is for listeners to leave us five-star reviews on iTunes. Positive reviews have a huge impact and only take a moment.
0: Monster Talk. I want to ask Gilad uh... Gillard, uh <clears throat> they're so cute they're so uh just uh, i think they're adorable looking creatures but i've heard that they're dangerous so could you tell us what happens if you touch a platypus
2: uh so like almost anything here in australia it's uh they're they're, you know uh, the wildlife here and plants are quite dangerous um often yeah it's, uh, it's quite often. yeah it's uh, for me like i'm not uh, i didn't grow up in australia so i came from um, into australia about 12 years ago and um maybe a bit more uh 15 uh 15 years ago um and like yeah like to uh come to terms that like it's the going out into uh the bush what we call here in australia is uh mm-hmm. can be quite intimidating um everything here seems to kind of want to get you um, so platypuses they have venomous spurs. And so the male platypus have these uh spurs, they're about ten to thirteen millimeters long um, on their hind legs. So they hmm. have these two spurs on their hind legs. It's kind of on like where you would think maybe like the ankle, I guess, um would be. Okay. Um female platypuses are born with a tiny spur, like a vestigial spur, a remnant spur that disappears after about six months. And so the males have these spurs. um, From I've never been spurred, but from accounts (laughs) of other people, um, they can carry quite a punch. uh, Being uh, envenomed by a platypus uh, can lead to excruciating pain for up to six months wow and so yeah it's like it's a muscle toxin and so the the oh, pain shock. is like it, like you if you get spurred in the arm you you know it would be immobilizing pain for you did you just have to like uh i don't know splint your arm and and not, try not to move it and apparently like morphine and painkillers they don't help
0: wow right. it must be yeah. rare though for, for that to happen
2: like they don't yeah platypuses they don't um, they don't go out for you so it's not like you'll be <laughs> swimming in a pool <laughs> and be surrounded by venomous
1: platypus so <laughs> stories to the it. contrary are spurious yep, yep. <laughs> uh <laughs> nice one
2: um Yeah. So, but you know, when we're, I, that's a recommendation I give to anyone is like that, you know, avoid trying to handle a platypus. And if you handle Mm -hmm. if you have to handle a platypus, so anglers, you know, if you go fishing, sometimes you come across stories of uh, platypus getting caught. Um, And, and unfortunately that what happens is that when that happens, the anglers, they just cut their line and then we, Mm sometimes come across dead platypus with fishing lines wrapped around their neck. And so, you know, yeah. Yeah. So that's kind of it. like, I. ideally you'd, you'd have to like reel it in and, and try and take the, you know, the hook out of the platypus's bill. Um, but there's a way to handle platypus. So um, really, if when I handle a platypus, it's, um, you know, mostly they're, in the net or in the water and you really have to assume it's a male until proven otherwise. Um, and I, I hold them by the tip of the tail. Um, and that's really how to handle platypuses. Um, there's, I haven't talked about that maybe, but there, there, there's quite a, a difference in size variation between platypuses, males and females and across their range. So like what I was describing earlier, how they, extend you know from really tropical to alpine climates and so the colder the the climate the bigger the platypuses become and so it's quite a it's a like a, in w- one of these like ecological uh, physiological laws in terms of like uh, thermal regulation of of animals in terms of the ratio of mass to size um, and so down south and like in tassie the platypuses are much bigger uh oh. they can they get up to about so a, a male tadopus would be about sixty centimeters long. You want to convert that to inches for our international listeners, American listeners?
1: That is twenty-three point six inches. So just under two feet.
2: <laughs> yeah. So you know that's with tails, but they are pretty big. Yeah. Um and and they the males can weigh up to like two, two and a half, maybe like two kilos. I have this funny story if you want to hear. Sure. It was like a scene from The Exorcist. So when I catch platypuses, you know, all my work is at night. We set nets, we go, we wait, you know, we check. We get that platypus um, and we take a... When when we catch a platypus, we put it in a pillowcase and tie the pillowcase and, mm-hmm. uh, and, and put it in the car for safekeeping until... We're ready to what we call like process them to look, you know, go over them and check their condition and take samples and all of that. So we 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 just I load up the car with platypuses and pillowcases so I can have you know six six platypuses there. You know that's the most, but usually it's you know two or three. Um, and, I, so I, and I, I take them and I'll like wrap them in a towel, you know, because they, they're a bit wet. And so it's if it's cold or hot, like, you know, I, I monitor their condition and all of that. And I check up on them because when I'm ready to process them, I, um, I don't want to stress the animals. That's like something that's been really important for me. Um, mm-hmm. And so I anesthetize the platypuses. I've got this like mobile station and I knocked, I gas them out. Um, and then while they're sleeping, I can check them. So I can't do that while the nets are still in the water. So that's why I kind of hold them for a bit. And then you know. So hey, we're there, side of the river, 2 a.m. Waiting for like we're sitting by the river by the nets. I've got already like a, a male platypus in the car, and I can and I hear knocking from inside the car. And so hmm. it's all like you know pitch dark, head torch upsetting the mood, um, you know, middle of nowhere. And I go to the car and I see that um, the platypus has escaped from the pillowcase. <laughs> so it's in the car, it's a male platypus, big one, <laughs> big spurs. Um, and it's, it's running around in the car. <laughs> and so I was like, <laughs> all right, I'm going to have to go in there and try and get it. And so, so I jump in the car and like the passenger seat and I close the door behind me. And now I'm like, I need to catch this platypus. And it's running around in circles inside the car under the seats. Oh. <laughs> and there was this, you know, I'm sure it was more terrified than I was, but um, hmm. there was this scene where it's clawing on like the, It's, it went up on the seats and it was like running around on like the size of the car. And so I had this, like, it was like this, like, it reminded me of this, like, the exorcist scene, right? When it's like running <laughs> on the ceiling there. Yeah, and this, yeah. like, huge platypus, and I'm trying to, like, uh, catch it and, you know, without obviously getting spurred. Mm. At, some, at some point, it started going under the, like, the front of the car and starting to tear the fluff and the electric wiring there. And I was like, oh. <laughs> fiery little
0: things (laughs) yeah
2: but at some point i just yeah so all right i give up there's no way i can catch it inside a car so i just opened the door let it out and then i caught it outside so that was the yeah oh um, there you go (laughs) um but but like to go back sorry uh to go back to like the the why platypuses have venomous spurs so it's not it's not to we we don't think it's like it's not to defend themselves against predators, because um, otherwise you'd ask yourself, then why don't female platypuses have venomous spurs? Because they, they, female platypuses are born with like a vestigial spur, so it's not like a, it's
1: not, it's, it's not like a full dimorphism.
2: Yeah, exactly. The like our you know prevailing hypothesis is that like we see that venom, the amount of venom, venom in the spurs increases during the breeding season. Uh, we okay. see males fighting. And we see a lot of scarring on males um, during the breeding season. And so are like, you know, like the conclusion is that they use it to um, fight each other. Um, So male platypuses become territorial um, during the breeding season. So like the the definition between like a home range, it's like kind of the area you inhabit versus a territory is like a place where you actually defend, you know, in terms of like a... yeah. uh, you know, like if you're living in a town, obviously you're not very territorial about the town, but you might be territorial about your home. So platypuses during the breeding season become territorial and they'll fend off other males and fight for, yeah. So I'm, I'm sure they, you know, they developed like in other animals, like they develop certain resistance. Well, that's what,
1: yeah, exactly. Do, do the males have a resistance to the venom? I don't know how you would test for that ethically, but yeah, that'd be, <laughs> do they have a way of fighting it off? <laughs> um, that's kind of a, an open question, I guess.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh,
1: yes, we haven't properly tested that one, but the venom, yeah, definitely. You would need to know how they would react to the like. How do you know the pain indicators for a platypus? To you know, <laughs> how do you know how it's responding? That's really interesting, though. Wow, when you look at an
2: animal, it's really hard to gauge if it's in pain or not. Um, you know, you can try and look at like a behavioral change if you know what your baseline is, but like when you encounter an animal. Yeah, it's hard to, to gauge. But I have this... Uh, I once have... I have these nets that are... They're, like, chambered. And they're they nets that are designed to funnel animals, in, platypuses, into chambers that they can come out of. And so I, there was one case where I had... It starts like a bad joke. A male platypus, a female platypus, and a catfish. So that's... <laughs>
0: uh... The joke. <laughs> yeah,
2: that's the joke, right? Like, uh... Um, and so the, in that situation, so, so catfish, they, ha, they also have spurs and uh, not spurs, what, spikes. Spikes, yeah, 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 Spikes. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, and, and yeah, quite, quite painful. Um, so I'm not too sure what, what, you know, what went on there, but when I retrieved the platypuses, I did notice like the female platypus was quite, um, seemed very like sedated. Like she was quite docile. Uh, for a very long time, and so it's you know it's hard to know what went on there, but- it was there kind of during the breeding season, so whether you know maybe maybe it was spurred by a male or spiked by a plat
1: by a catfish but uh yeah maybe yeah. Me, i so the catfish was probably pretending to be a platypus that's what I heard they
0: <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
1: you can never tell who you're meeting on the internet that's a fact so,
0: <laughs>
1: <laughs> dangerous place i so i one of the things I've read about is that platypuses have some sort of electroreception, like they have the ability yeah. to use sense electricity underwater when they're hunting prey.
2: Some people enjoy the waves or whatever, uh, crashing, and I enjoy listening to a quantum
1: physics audio I do think there are many things in the world that we just don't understand yeah. and probably won't understand. That's our yeah. whole show. <laughs> <laughs> so join us every Wednesday on all major podcast platforms and find us on Instagram, TikTok, and Twitter at ChinwagPod and Wagon.
2: Yeah, so platypuses have a very sensitive build. It's... um. And they're packed with uh, two types of receptors. One is, um, like a, a, like you say, an electroreceptor that can pick up minute electric signals in the water. And the other set of uh, receptors are um, mechanoreceptors or motion sensors. So platypuses, they close their eyes and ears when they dive. They can dive for uh, extended periods of time. They can hold their breath for like up to eight minutes um yeah they dive in and then blindlessly in terms of like you know eyesight but they they have these sensors and so they pick up and and the way they forage is like they go down to the the bottom of the creek or river and kind of move their bill from side to side um and like move away like you know put it in between leaf litter and between like submerged logs and, and, and whatnot, and, and, um, you know, gravel and things like that. And they'll pick up those signals, uh, those electric signals emitted by what we discussed, like those, you know, all those spinous bugs in the water uh, the big ones. Um, when I say big, I mean, you know, like about a centimeter, 10 millimeters, um, or five. Yeah. So, Um, they'll pick up on that and then they, it's, it's a bit like it's filter feeding almost. So when we catch platypuses, one thing that I do is they, they, so they suck, they suck their prey along with anything else. It's not very targeted in the sense, you know, they don't go like, like a shark, um, but they'll just kind of filter feed through that. And then they'll surface. And so platypuses, they don't have any teeth. They have these uh, um, grinding pads. Um, and so hmm. they'll, incidentally, a, a platypus is born with a single tooth that they use <laughs> to tear through the egg. That's and then cute. that tooth falls off. Yeah. <laughs> <I know>. <laughs> <laughs> so weird, right? Um, so it's like this one-time tool. You just tear the egg and that's it. Um yeah, so they uh they'll mush up, they'll grind their all this like muck and and prey and things like that, and they have these cheek pouches in the sides of like I don't know if you like, there's a bit of space there. Um, so I like when I catch a platypus, and I uh it's like a sleeping platypus, and I open its bill, and I have this special spoon, it's like a cocktail spoon or something, and I like scoop out all that muck. From their cheek pouches to understand what they're eating and, um, and and look at also like in terms of we've been studying like the impact of bushfires and droughts on, on on platypuses and so one way is to understand how they're dealing with these like uh extreme events is to monitor as well what they're eating and, and food availability so anyway so we we do that and um yeah, in the past, like you know, researchers had to put all of that muck under a microscope and try and discern what's there. But nowadays, we can use um, genetic genomics um, to really identify exactly what's there. So um, r- gives gives us a really accurate understanding of what they're eating.
1: I've got like two hours worth of questions, but we're kind of running out of time. <laughs> and, yeah, but sorry, I, but I want to say I think we've probably really. I hope have inspired the curiosity of the many, you know, aspiring biologists in our audience. I know a lot of people are fascinated by nature, and monsters fit right into that because they make us think about what's possible and what's not possible. And the platypus as an animal really kind of stretches the bounds of what kind of powers and skills a, a mammal can have. Um, yeah, I. I there by, my my last question before we go to our wrap up is this I, how much can we tell um about the Is how much of this is coming from like convergent evolution yeah like the the bill uh as a as a feeding mechanism obviously they exist on ducks but uh it, you know it, it here it is on a on a, on a platypus. Yeah. What, what what's going on there? And like these these um, characteristics that they have. How much can we get discern from the fossil record about the ancient versions? Like you said, their receptors on the bill. Does, does the fossil record suggest that those receptors were there millions of years ago? You know what's new, what's old, yeah. that kind of question. So that's a little rambly, but you see, I think where I'm going.
0: Yeah. What were you asking? Yeah.
1: <laughs> <Wait>. <laughs> no, I, I've got the answer. <laughs> so, it's fine.
2: Um, <laughs> So okay yeah like uh, leaving the best for last kind of thing uh so a- evolutionary wise uh platypuses are part of what we call like the the family the um the monotremes um and their closest relative is the echidna um they're so the echidna is a terrestrial mammal um, that uh feeds on um, like termites and ants and things like that. So it's its closest relative is a is a landfaring animal. Um uh with spines on its back, and it's like like what do you would think is like a like the Australian version of uh you know a, a hedgehog, really, um, or or a porcupine. Um evolutionary-wise, these these monotrims Like our common ancestor in terms of the theory of evolution um, is about 200 million years ago. So when you're in terms of like placing how, where did the platypus come, came from, we're talking about like our ancestor, our mammalian ancestor that like we share with the platypus was this like weird egg laying animal that shared earth with dinosaurs, so that that divergent happened even before we diverged from marsupials like the um you know the australian version of of mammals and so um because of that like they have all of these like you know like because their lineage is so like rooted deep in time they have all of these like weird combinations of especially like being still an egg laying mammal and mammal being like they they still have the platypus have a mammary gland with secrete they secrete milk and the puggles those like baby platypuses they they lap the platypuses don't have teeth so they don't really suckle but they have they lap that milk uh, from the platypus I'm oh, sorry did you, um, did you just say puggles I know so cute Oh, uh, it is so, adorable
0: yeah. oh my god okay <laughs>
2: <laughs> yeah um, and um, also, like I'm trying the collective noun of a platypus uh is a pandemonium of platypus oh, stuff. that's wonderful, oh,
0: that's great, and so I thought it was gonna uh, be platitudes yeah, so... <laughs> what <laughs> yeah or a Pugle,
2: Yeah. <laughs> there is uh, some some use puddle as well, which is also it's very cute as well, so yeah, uh, you take a pick. um, I don't think there's like a formal you know uh collective nouns is really. of this obscure thing
1: a quick insert about collective nouns for animals in english i mistakenly thought this was a victorian era invention but it actually dates back to medieval hunting terminology schools of fish flocks of birds herds of horses these feel pretty mundane but they're all nouns that refer to a group of one class of animals Concocting more specific terms became a kind of courtly entertainment. And even though these terms don't have a governing body of authorities who affirm the correctness of any particular word, it's not uncommon to run across lists on the Internet that are written as though there were. And, it won't surprise listeners, there are a lot of puns made from such things. This practice is a kind of collective noun known as a term of venery. Now, this may cause some eyebrow raises for listeners who recognize that particular word as meaning a kind of sexual excessiveness, but an alternate meaning goes back to hunting with dogs. And I won't hound you with the mounting layers of meanings those metaphors suggest, but these lists do come up again and again. So you may find joy in knowing a murder of crows, a parliament of owls, a sleuth of bears, a congregation of crocodiles, and so on, but you're not likely to hear most of them actually used by the people who study these creatures. Still, if I had the strength, I would not be above throwing a group of stranded whales back into the ocean. After all, I am a podcaster.
2: Yeah, so, so to answer your question, the the origins of the platypus is a, a terrestrial, faring animal much bigger than what it is today. Like, you, like, you, the, the ancestors of the platypus were these like big animals, um, that, that were walking on land, really. And so I think the, like, the, all of these features of a duck bill and receptors and toe webbing. Platypuses have the second densest fur in the animal kingdom in the animal world, right? So, you know that's another feature. Um, they have these like very specialized, um, you know, fat um, that gives them a really good insulation. And so, mm-hmm. I, I would I would think that all of these are um, really like a convergent traits um, mm-hmm. that are have been. That have evolved to be adapted with you know the the environment, and it's quite a you know in Australia it's quite a, it's it's a it's quite a specialized niche. I mean, mm-hmm. you placental mammals have been are like considered like superior in a sense. If you put a like a placental or a marsupial or a monotreme in the same place, I think placental mammals usually like outcompete the others. So you know it's um it's quite a specialized niche that is like a shared by you know fish and ducks and. Um, yeah, but it's uh, some. I know, like I've got a, a colleague of mine is kind of an evolutionary biologist, Mike Archer and he, You know, some species can be considered as like dead end species, and so like they're like over time, the range of this family and the species have been contracting. You know, we're talking you know millions of years here, so uh, you know in perspective. So, but um, potentially it's it could be like a, just like a, a dead end. For you know, for thinking about m- the millions of years to come um, and and life on Earth, like so, maybe like some platypuses will be outcompeted by other other animals and other traits.
0: Wow. well, we feel like we could talk about this topic for hours, and we really appreciate you coming on the show, Gilad, to to talk about this unique animal and all of the interesting interesting facts that you've shared. We've just got one final question that we want to ask you, which we ask all of our guests, and that is what's your favorite monster?
2: So many good monsters out there. Mm -hmm. Uh, Let's see. Um, Corporate sociopaths, is that uh, considered a monster? Every day.
1: Yes. Every day. (laughs) (laughs) No, no, no.
2: (laughs) There's this – no, no. um, I'm kidding, but there's – I would probably say I'm a. I play Dungeons and Dragons. I love uh, role playing and all of these kind of, and I'm like a tabletop gamer, and I do all of that. That's kind of my nerdy uh, aspect. But I would say, like over the years, playing Dungeons and Dragons, my favorite monster would be the Mind Flayers. Ooh,
1: yeah. Uh, have you had that, that one before? No one said that no. before, but I know exactly what you're talking about.
0: I don't. Yeah. <laughs> you no, know, you want to explain it? <laughs> yeah.
2: Uh, so mind flayers are these like uh um, scientific names mm, the illithids
1: right
2: <laughs> nice yeah good the illithids, <laughs> right? Uh, i can uh, maybe uh yeah so they're like considered um the scourge of sentient creatures um and they have these psionic, psionic uh abilities and they consume they basically feed off of people's brains mm-hmm. uh and they
1: um can like
0: like destroy. zombies
2: yeah well yeah but they consume like their
1: knowledge yeah they they they, they take they into- take your identity and your knowledge and your everything and and then they suck it out of your brain and and they can mind yeah. control you and dominate you. And and they have a, wow. a, a they're usually, they build a, a, they have a hive mind leader, right? If I remember yeah. correctly.
2: Yeah. yeah, The elder brain. Yeah. Which
1: they kind of. Yeah. So everything they're doing um, is scary. a service to that. It's really, it's, it's super creepy. It's super creepy. The last. <laughs> yeah. Think, good. I think one of them is one choice, of the then. secret rulers of Waterdeep, maybe, if I remember correctly. It's been a minute. Mm-hmm. So- <laughs>
0: <laughs> nice answer, then. Yeah, very,
1: very, very cool monsters. Uh, they have Ministers, like octopus yeah. heads on human body sort of thing, humanoid bodies. Yeah, that's really? Right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah.
0: So, yeah. Have to check It's them out. a good
1: one. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Within the <laughs> the boundaries of copyright, we'll put some images in the show notes. <laughs> <laughs> good stuff. <laughs> Thank you so much for yeah. sharing this time with us this has been so cool thank
0: you such a beloved animal to Australia and uh you know, I just know I get asked about the platypus all the time here people think it's a, this incredible creature through to it's some kind of abomination so it's really fun to talk about this with someone who knows something
1: yeah yeah <laughs> about the creature this will be a good augmentation the all of my previous knowledge was from a, a documentary my kids were watching about two kids uh, who were on summer break and they had a platypus as a pet Maybe you can teach Perry some tricks. Well, he is a platypus.
0: They don't do much. They're the only mammals to lay eggs.
1: Maybe he'll lay an egg. Cool. See you tomorrow. Uh, <laughs> what? <laughs> it's a Phineas and Ferb joke. Oh, a, yeah. <laughs> I have the, we have the
2: one joke that we have is like, uh, what happens if you get spurred? Do you remember the 80s TV
1: show Manimal? Oh, my God, yes. Manimal i was just literally talking about that at lunch today that is
2: crazy So really yeah, yeah. So, so we have this uh yeah if you get spurred you become uh like a
1: manipus this- you can like transform into like
2: a spurred create, so you know, now you, he, he
1: can become a uh what is it a, a falcon a a cougar a black puma of some sort <laughs> and and now also a platypus <laughs> There you go. <laughs> Which it turns out has actually got a lot of useful power. so maybe not the worst thing. So, yeah, yeah that is yeah. fantastic. Well, I hope you uh, have much success in your continued research. This is so cool. Me
0: too. It's a really important yeah, research. Absolutely. Yeah, so much. And thank you yeah, as well for great. helping
1: spur on the curiosity of our listeners, because I think you'll be inspiring <laughs> people to go learn more about these fascinating creatures. So,
0: monster
1: dog. You've been listening to Monster Talk, the science show about monsters. I'm Blake Smith.
0: And I'm Karen Stoltzner.
1: You just heard the second half of our interview with Dr. Gilad Bino about the amazing platypus. Check our show notes for links to other things mentioned in the show. Monster Talk is an independent podcast production of Monster House, LLC. You can show your support by subscribing to our ad-free extended episodes at patreon.com forward slash monster talk we want to grow our monster talk audience and the easiest way to accomplish that is for listeners to leave us five star reviews on iTunes positive reviews have a huge impact and only take a moment monster talks a proud member of the airwave media podcast network home of such shows as the accidental creative and and The Sit-Down. If you'd like to advertise on this show, contact sales at advertisecast.com. Monster Talk theme music is by Peach Stealing Monkeys. Thank you for putting our word sounds into your ears. We really appreciate you making us a part of your listening life.
0: in a Monster House presentation.